It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Please take into account that some of the stories you're about to hear, which involve the topic of dementia and long-term brain injury, might be triggering. So please do take care. On Tuesday, the 9th of March, Parliament began an inquiry into the link between sport and long-term brain injury. The move that coincides with our documentary, Dementia and Football, Talk Sports, Support for Change. In towards Virgil van Dijk and he powers the header into the goal. Research from 2019, funded by both the Players Footballers Association and the FA, has former footballers fearing the worst. It found that ex-professionals are three and a half times more likely to die from a neurodegenerative disease than the general population. And now, after a number of high-profile deaths, calls to tackle the issue are louder than ever. Over the next hour, you'll hear from a number of familiar voices who are worried and want answers. did a lot of head in the ball when I was young, and so I'm worried whether that's had any effect. I think it'd be interesting to see what football's like without heading. I speak to another former Three Lions captain who lives with the disease. Corner from Barnes and a beautiful header! Dave Watson! I remember the game. You remember scoring? But, um, you can't remember it really, can you? No. And from the authority figures who've been criticised for not doing more. They have to work with associations and help them. Without their drive, it makes it much more challenging down below. You'll learn about the disease and the issues those living with dementia face. How the need to win has players and managers turning a blind eye. Plus, how football must change without ruining the sport we all fell in love with. You're listening to Dementia and Football. Talk sports, support for change. I'm Charlie Webster, broadcaster, lifelong Sheffield United fan and an Alzheimer's Society Dementia Friends champion. That's a volunteer who encourages others to make a positive difference to people living with the disease. My nan passed away from dementia seven years ago now. She would try to pay for things twice and always with 35p. She thought my granddad was still alive and had to relive her heartbreak over and over again because she would forget. The saddest part was she stopped remembering how to do the thing she loved the most, baking. She meant the world to me. She used to look after me when I was a kid when my mum was at work and then I lived with her again in my late teens. My nana's last words were, what can I do for you? By the way, she was a Sheffield Wednesday fan. She'll like me saying that. Dementia is a disease that affects every one of us, whether that's directly or not. Over the next hour, you'll hear plenty from Dr. Willie Stewart. He and his team at the University of Glasgow have led the research into brain injuries associated with football. 
and have worked closely with a TalkSport favourite, who wants answers. Nasty bounce of the ball, beat David Platt, Staunton plays it in again towards Tony Cascarino! Tony Cascarino, whose father lives with dementia, holds fears of his own. The former Chelsea and Republic of Ireland striker has worked closely with Dr Stewart in the past on the issue and has ambitions to play a larger role in the fight against the disease. A career spanning 20 years, 700 appearances for club and country, he hit the headlines at the end of 2020 following his article in The Times titled Dementia Will Come For Me and I Want Answers. My missus has said a couple of things to me over the last year or two and I, she said, she said to me, are you setting up a process of actually making sure we're all all right? Because you're doing things that, you know, like making sure this is paid, made that, that, that is paid. If anything happens to me that she's going to be okay to some level. Do you see what I mean? Mm. How do you deal with that? How do you cope with how you're feeling about that at the moment? We're all guilty of sweeping things under the carpet. And also, I deep down, well, it might not happen to me. If I was an insurance man and looking to try and get insurance myself, I'd be pretty concerned that I wasn't going to get any, any insurance. Um, how do I deal with it? Only till I'm talking to someone like yourself, and I've spoke to Dawn Astle, William Stewart, many, many others along the way. It makes me realise that the, it's quite a scary pr process. Every month or two, I'll speak to someone who I played with that I've heard are on the early signs of dementia. And that's happening more regularly. And they're players that are, you know, late 50s, early 60s, some are a little bit older. But it's a scary thought because yeah, that scary. might be someone making that call about Cass. Mm. Someone might be saying, oh, did you hear about Cass? He's, he's got a diagnosis of the early stage of dementia, which mm. is something I, I try not to think about it, but it's very deep in my conscience, without a doubt. People with dementia still feel the world. They may not remember someone or something, but they still feel the same strong emotions attached to that memory. Hughes can make it, but Watson did. And Watson came in in the centre of the goal. Nobody picked him up. And a very solid header gave Barber no chance. Dave Watson, only 74. A former England captain, an FA Cup winner with Sunderland, a League Cup winner with Manchester City. He even faced the late, great Diego Maradona at Wembley. Another great of the game, whose diagnosis shook the sport to its core. It's as if I have, haven't got a memory for, for anything that, that, that goes back five years, 10 years, 15 years. Um, and people will take, say to me, oh, I, I, I looked at that, I, I saw you in that game. And uh, and they say you remember it, and I and I'd say uh, most of the time, um, no. How is how does it make you feel about football now, Dave? Because I can imagine it's brought so much joy to your life. Yes, uh, and and still does. I still shout at the television. Dave's wife, Penny is very pragmatic when dealing with his condition. But when talking to her, I could see the sadness in her eyes. It is hard talking about Dave in front of him, but yeah, we are quite open about things. It's really, for me, it's almost like having a, a child again. I can imagine it must be extremely hard. And Dave... Very what, hard, yeah. What's it very like hard. you hearing Penny say that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 
Well, I've, I've heard it before. You know, I was so. just going to say you've heard it before. I always say to Dave, it's not you, it's the disease. I don't know whether you take that on board or not. Yeah, I do. And it's that's my husband doing it. It's not our child or grandchild or great-grandchild. It's, it, 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 it's hard. Penny has revealed that Dave's consultant believes that the neurodegenerative disease is in all probability chronic traumatic encephalopathy brought on by repeated heading during his playing days. The same disease determined as the cause of another great's death back in 2002. Oh. Jeff Astle has achieved the record. He's scored in every round of the FA Cup. The West Brom legend, nicknamed the King, at just 59 died of the condition that's believed to be linked to the heading of footballs. The coroner at the time described it as an industrial disease. My mum and my sisters and my dad's family, I think we always sort of suspected it was probably something to do with football. That's Jeff's daughter, Dawn, another extremely vocal force for change. When we arrived at Burton for the coroner's court, um, we could see a crowd outside and we thought um, it was at the town hall and we thought it was a wedding or something. We, we had no idea they were all for dad's inquest you know it was it was really quite it was really quite weird um and then mr robson who did the original post-mortem on my dad at nottingham he stood and just described how badly damaged his brain was and he said that there was trauma all the way through it and it looked like the brain of a boxer dr willie stewart reviewed her father's brain for research it's always incredible um you know in, in some cases you know when we look at it from the outside you know look at the surface of it there's very little to see others it's quite withered and quite ravaged by disease but when we look down a microscope it's just sometimes remarkable that there's been any brain function there at all because there's such incredible damage has been done to it and it's not just a single point of injury. It's not just looking at where the ball hit or the, the elbow hit or the head was struck. We're actually looking at the whole brain being consumed by this disease, this abnormal proteins that build up being present throughout the whole brain. And when you see something like that, you understand why you know, the person who, who was suffering had, had such terrible disease. Jeff's case has been the catalyst for change. From 2004 until now, Dr Stewart has seen a steady increase in families coming forward with similar issues and concerns a heartbreaking ordeal for all involved, including Dawn. What you're about to hear might be triggering, so please do take care. When you watch somebody who was so full of life, my dad just wasn't a sad, melancholy man at all. You know, he was always laughing and joking and singing, or he would sing constantly, uh, drive you crazy at times. Uh, <laughs> and to see how the disease in such a short period of time just ravage him and, and strip him of everything he was. Um, I mean, he was just, just a shell. The day he died, um, it was actually my 34th birthday. And um, the day before, on the Friday, we'd just buried my grandmother. So we'd sort of brought my granddad back to mum's and... And I did like a little birthday tea. Um, and, you know, it's, it's nearly 19 years ago and it's, it's as if it was yesterday. I remember every single thing about it. Um, he, I can't even say he walked in, he, he shuffled in and he, he had like a stoop and he 
he looked grey and gaunt and we sat him down and you had to be very careful of watching him when he was eating because um, it, it's like he couldn't remember that he'd already put something in his mouth so he would continue putting things in his mouth all the time and till he, his cheeks were puffed out looked like a hamster so we used to watch him all the time and we were watching him and then he just started to cough and the coughing got worse and worse um, and Alistair and my brother-in-law sort of picked him up off the chair and his legs gave way so we thought we'd, we'd take him outside to try and get some air around him and you could see he was he was trying to be sick mm. but he wouldn't spit it out and my mum was Absolutely, she just was screaming, screaming at him. She, she was saying, Jeff, spit it out, spit it out. But his teeth, he sort of gritted his teeth together. And mum was trying to open his mouth. And I remember my other half said, Lorraine, don't, because it would just bite you. It would cut you, it could bite your fingers off. His legs sort of gave way more and we had to lie him down. And I remember someone went and fetched uh, some pillows and some blankets. Um, and you could see he was trying to be sick all the time. And I remember ringing for an ambulance. It, oh God, it seemed to take an age to come. And it was just the most horrendous thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, watching someone choke to death, you never forget it. Mm. And you, it haunts me. Mm. It haunts me forever because I suppose to this day, I sort of blame myself because if I hadn't have done this to he wouldn't have choked. We spoke for a long time about the impact this has had on Dawn and her family's mental health. At the time, I just wanted to reach out and tell her everything will be okay. But you can tell the trauma of her dad's death torments her daily. You're listening to Dementia and Football, talk sports, support for change. Very shortly, you'll hear from Sir Jeff Hurst, England's hat-trick hero back in 1966, plus a few familiar names who fear the disease is coming for them. I don't see how any footballer reading all this stuff at the moment, the way it's come to light, wouldn't be have some kind of concern. Five of the men who started against West Germany in 1966 died from or were living with dementia when they passed. Most recently, the man who that day skipped around Wembley with his false teeth in one hand and the World Cup trophy in the other. It's actually been confirmed as categorically as it can be that heading the ball killed my dad. I had the pleasure of sitting down with John the son of Nobby Styles, another family member who wants answers. Willie Stewart examined my dad's brain and it was riddled with CTE, along with Jeff Astle. I think um, there's been another couple of players, I think Alan Jervis at uh, Hull. And basically, they'll fight it and fight it. But trauma to the front of my dad's head killed him. The only trauma he had to his head, prolifically, was heading the ball. It's like they make out that it's a, 
you know, it's got to be proven medically. It's like it's like smoking with lung cancer. It's like asbestos. It just makes sense, and it's and it's true. But unfortunately, I, just just to give you an example, since Jeff Astle's diagnosis, when a coroner actually said head in the balls killed this man, they've allowed two generations of footballers, men and women, to play football unprotected and uninformed of the risks. And that is a scandal. Dr Willie Stewart has warned the doubters that we need to act now. There has never been any valid research evidence to demonstrate that parachutes are effective when you jump out of an airplane. And it, but we, we know there's an immediate cause and effect. So actually the study to set that up is very simple. Take 10 people, put parachutes on them, take 10 people, don't put parachutes on them, throw them out, and within minutes you'll know what the distance is. We're talking about something which is 40 years apart. You know, I don't think we're ever going to get the evidence for that. But if the people who are, who are questioning what we've got, which is observational data, which is we've seen the pathology, it's, only, it's a pathology to do with head injury that's in many of these brains. We've got the evidence that contact sports athletes have high risks of dementia. You know, that's more than enough evidence for the moment to say there's a link, that observation's there. But if the, the scientists who, as I say, are largely within sports and sports medicine are so convinced that we need, you know, direct causal evidence, you know, a, a longitudinal study demonstrating that heading causes a problem. I would ask them, first of all, if they would volunteer because of the principles of their argument to undergo a study looking at parachutes. If you picture the fairy lights stuffed in your wardrobe or under the bed, along with the rest of your Christmas decorations, you pull them out and there's always some that don't work or flicker on and off. If you give them a bit of a wiggle, they may come on or have failed completely and won't turn on again. Imagine your brain is a collection of thousands of fairy lights, each representing one of your memories, skills, or a function of your brain. Now something causes these lights to flicker, dim, or completely stop working, just like your Christmas lights. This is dementia hitting your brain. Shit! Let it go of my hurst! Go of my hurst! Number four! And the England players going down on the turf, hugging each other! Just living with it, almost not directly living with it, but on a day-to-day -day basis, very, very uh, awkward and uh, fully understanding how, how and the, some of the different circumstances that Cathy had to deal with, with Martin on a daily basis over many years is, is absolutely horrendous. There's no other word for it. it. It's absolutely horrendous. So Jeff Hurst, Alzheimer's Society supporter and England's hat-trick hero, knows all too well of the families left devastated by the disease, including, as he mentioned, the family of fellow World Cup winner in 1966, Martin Peters, who died at the age of 76 in 2019, after a three-year battle with Alzheimer's disease. Well, for us, particularly at West Ham, we were very well known under our great manager, Ron Greenwell, for really developing the near post cross. Yeah. So we spent hours and hours and hours practicing from left and right. Yeah. And take it to such an extent, we scored a, you know, a goal in the World Cup final by the fantastic Martin Peters cross. Um, probably we were pioneers, I think, of, of using that fantastic way of delivering and scoring goals, of which we scored many at the top level. The former England captain, one of the three Lions' greatest ever strikers, Gary Lineker, has concerns of his own. It was something that always went on in my mind, and I've, I've thought about it a lot, and especially now with seeing so many footballers um, seemingly get dementia. I mean, it, it, the statistics are quite worrying and I think I've had conversations down in Shearer and Ian Wright and various others about you know the worry that 
that come 10, 15 years that, that it might happen to, to one of us. In fact, the odds suggest that it probably will happen to one of us. Um, so it is, it is concerning. I mean, I have regular health checks anyway, which includes the brain. So, so far, everything's okay. I sort of go every three years for a full, full check. And um, I've added that particular thing to, to if they can investigate. Um, so I've, I think I'll have my triannual test in, in this summer after the Euros probably. And, um, and I will ask them to see if there's anything they can establish around, around the brain because it's, I don't see how, given the circumstances, any footballer wouldn't be worried about it. Despite scoring 15 of his 48 England goals with his head, Gary always believed it to be dangerous. Every time you did finish it, the whole squad did it. So you got 20-odd players and you get one shot every 10 minutes. And that, I had a reputation for not being very good at training. The problem was it didn't stimulate me and I found it boring. So why was I going to stand there and head loads of balls coming out? And it's, we, we used to have training games, obviously, and the ball would be kicked long by goalkeepers. And, and to be honest, even in football matches, the big high balls from goalkeepers, I was never going to head one of those. Because as a striker, you've got to flick them on. So they often landed on the top of your head. So whenever the ball was kicked long, whether it be in training and indeed in matches, you wouldn't see me heading it. What I normally do would be leaning to the defender and then feign a foul um, or try and make them push me so that I didn't have to head it. And I would also always deliberately miss them anyway. That was just the part of it. The only time I ever really, I think, properly headed the ball was if I, I thought I could score. If, I mean, it's really hard for you to say, but would you change anything different if you were more aware of this now? If I'd known what I knew now, I would have certainly limited the heading that I did when I was younger. No question about that. No question. Um, whether that would have made me not as good a footballer, um, whether I would have been not as good as heading the ball as I actually was, um, it's impossible to say. But yeah, of course I would. The former Celtic and Brighton defender turned National League commentator Adam Virgo found a clear style during and after his playing days. The problem is when you go lower down the spectrum, there's no disrespect to the player, but technically they're not as good. And what tends to happen is they panic a little bit and then they end up going long and they end up going quite direct. And it's kind of like the easiest out ball of a, a lower league player to kind of play themselves up the field rather than playing into midfield, playing through the thirds like you'd see in a, in a top team. Statistics collated from earlier this season prove this point. According to Opta, following the first 140 League 2 matches of this season, there have been 20,582 headers and after the first 78 Premier League games, there were just 7,840 headers. A clear decrease as you climb the football pyramid. Right from the kickoff, having just conceded, Farrah Williams does that. Farrah Williams, who has 172 Lioness caps to her name, appearing at three World Cups. I'd be lying if I said after hearing talk sport and listening to the radio that it doesn't worry me. You know, if I get a headache and, you know, I'm forgetful sometimes and I forget where I've placed things and, you know, I, I, I question myself and I go, you know, I've got early signs of it because it's so scary, you know, putting things down and forgetting where you put things, it's worrying. Mm -hmm. And only, I, I've only thought about that, as I say, because I've only, you know, the exposure now it's got in the media has made me more aware of it. And I'm like, you know, I've played football forever. I'm like 37 and still playing. So, you know, I've had plenty of years of going through that. Sue Lopez was a pioneer of the women's game. Despite the FA's ban in the 60s on women's football, her and her peers formed an unofficial league in Southampton. Sue went on to win the FA Cup eight times, picking up 22 England caps along the way. 
We couldn't speak directly with Sue because of how bad her dementia had become. Her close friend and former teammate, Leslie Lloyd, is in regular contact with her. Well, she she said, you know, heading the ball is, is, is certainly, that's why I, I think I've got this. I'm sure, sure I have. England's women played their first official international match in 1972, the season after the FA overturned its 50-year ban. Wendy Owen, who is part of that squad, stopped heading the ball at 23. That's made me start to think about dementia and football, started to make me, you know, has made me start to worry about, you know, what could it happen to me? Research on women is behind the men's game and women in the general population are more likely to get dementia than men, two to one to be exact. Neurologist Dr Michael Gray, who is the lead researcher on the SCORES project at the University of East Anglia, has called for more female volunteers to come forward. Former Crystal Palace striker Mark Bright is one of 35 former players taking part in the study group. Not a single female is involved. You can do it on your laptop or your iPad or whatever, um, and it's done inside your own home. You don't have to go anywhere, 20-odd 20, 20 minutes, and it's all done. It's interesting because uh, I've tried with ex-teammates from several different clubs to get them involved. And they've said they would, but you have to go to the website and you have to register, have a read, have a look if it's something you'd like to get involved in, register, and then you can do the test. You can do one of the tests straight away. So the more people we can get doing the test, the better or more accurate they can get the results. For those of you listening affected by dementia, Alzheimer's Society is here to help. Its Dementia Connect support line will help you get the right support when you need it, seven days a week. Advice on how to cope, caring for someone with dementia, legal advice, the list goes on. Call 0333-1503-456 or search alzheimers.org.uk forward slash Dementia Connect. You're listening to Dementia and Football, talk sports support for change. Very shortly, I speak to the Professional Football Association's Assistant Chief Executive, Simon Barker. The union have been heavily criticised in the past for not doing enough to support those living with the disease. But now they have plans in place to help going forward. It's having that empathy, it's having that time to be able to talk. But we have to start somewhere and this is a start of a process. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Fingers crossed we can get the research and the, and the funds into the research that we'll need, which will, I say, ultimately make this terrible disease something we can we can manage and live with better. That was Wickham Wanderers manager Gareth Ainsworth, who teamed up with Chelsea legend Petr Cech and songwriter Ian Willis to create a Christmas single. Gareth was on guitar and vocals, Petr on the drums. The proceeds made from the song Drawing Straws were in aid of Alzheimer's Society Sport United Against Dementia. The COVID-19 pandemic has severely disrupted charities like Alzheimer's Society, so please help if you can, so that the charity can work to transform the way the industry supports players and fans alike. Football's dementia scandal. Over the years, TalkSport listeners will know all too well that following a former player's diagnosis or death as a consequence of a brain disease, the issue dominates the headlines. And rightly so. It's the result of a campaign that has seen a huge increase in media coverage, giving those who are calling for change a voice, calling for those in power to act. One of which has come under increasing pressure. Football needs to look after its own. You know, that's what the um, PFA is It's primarily before, but we that's another matter of, of how they've run things over the last few years. Um, do they help players enough? Generally, I don't think so. But the game itself as, as well, particularly if we, we know that we're now pretty sure that it's the game that's caused people's illnesses. It's a debt that the game owes those players, I feel, yes. Gary Lineker is one of a long list of former players who have criticised the Players' Football Association for not doing enough. John, the son of England's 1966 World Cup winning hero, Nobby Styles, gave me a damning assessment of the PFA support. My dad always always uh, hated injustice and um, <laughs> always stuck up for the underdog, if you like. And I know he wasn't really aware of the, the, the CTE, the situation. But I know for a fact um, he would be disgusted about the lack of action that's been there to help. There's been nothing to help the players. And I know my dad would be right behind what we're doing now. And um, I, I know that. And he would love, love to know that families are being helped. Penny Watson, the wife of former England captain Dave, who lives with a neurodegenerative disease, possibly a result of repeated heading during his career. had nothing to do with them because we know from what other people have said. And, you know, what's the point of losing your dignity and going begging for something? 
when you know you're going to be pushed back. There's always that element that the PFA can say, well, we didn't know about it because nobody said anything. Well, everybody is saying something now. So get off your backsides and do something to help the people. The people aren't going to go to you to ask for help because mm -hmm. history has shown that the odd few people who have contacted the PFA for help have not got very much help back. Simon Barker enjoyed a career spanning 19 years, 624 competitive matches in total for the likes of Blackburn Rovers and QPR. He is now the PFA's assistant chief executive. Nice chance, oh it's in! Oh it's a beauty from Simon Barker! Simon, there's been some very public criticism of the PFA recently, especially in the conversation around dementia, of the fact that the PFA haven't been looking after former players living with dementia. What's your reaction to that when you've seen the things in the press referring to those things? Yeah, I, I, it's, it's disappointing. It's something that, you know, I think everybody can be criticised over a number of different things. I mean, this is something that the PFA is about. It's, we're about our current members, our former members, our future members. Um, and it's so important that we look after our members. So, you know, when, when there's criticism, you have to look at yourself and see what you've been doing. Can you improve on what you've been doing previously? And I think that's something definitely over the last few months we've, we've been doing. I mean, before that, you know, we, we've, we've definitely taken this area seriously. We've been working in this area for between 15 and 20 years. We funded the field study, um, which uh, was probably the most extensive so far research program in this area. Uh, we funded that um, along with the FA as well two-year program, um, uh, which is going on to three years and possibly four years. We put in a, uh, an application to the Industrial Injuries Advisory Council to make, uh, that was back, I think, in about 2005 uh, that we put that in. Um, there's been one recently, which we've supported back into that, which uh, we're waiting to hear back from them with regard to whether concussion and, uh, and this area is, uh, is classed as an industrial disease for professional footballers. You know, we are looking at a number of, well, there's, there's currently a, a lot of research programs going on at the moment, um, which we hope to come to fruition in the next few years, which I think will help with that application, but also help with us all uh, with the knowledge of what is actually happening here, because we're all looking at this area and seeing the amount of former players that seem to have not only dementia, but other neurodegenerative illnesses and diseases and trying to find out, you know, is it linked with concussion? Is it linked with heading? I want to know. I, I you know, I had a 19-year career in the 80s and 90s. I, I want to know that as well. Will, will, will I experience uh, issues? So, you know, this is not something that we haven't looked at. But, but also as well, you know, we, 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 we do need to take on board criticism. So firstly, if I can pick up on the care for players, that's one of the things that I was told from various different families was the lack of communication and that emotional support. What are the PFA doing in this area? I mean, the, the PFA, we've, we've offered uh, for a number of years now areas of uh, support, financial support in respect of uh, respite care for families. It's so difficult. I know I've only just come in, into this area and, and, and started to speak to families and uh, you, you really understand that how much of an effect uh, having a family member with dementia 
uh, does affect the family. It's really difficult. I think quite a lot of uh, people, majority of people in the general population where dementia and other neurodegenerative uh, illnesses have affected them. You know, it normally is the wife or the uh, the family, the close family members that it really affects and seeing their loved one with these issues. And then, you know, the, the worst thing in the world is when they don't know who you are. It's, it's having that empathy. It's having that time to be able to talk. It's having that time to be able to connect again in a month's time or two months time or three months time to find out how things are going that's where it's a full-time role and it's and it's probably not just one person two people it's probably more people than that but we have to start somewhere and this is a start of a process after the coroner discovered that jeff astle's brain resembled that of a boxer the fa and pfa promised to investigate the link between head injuries and brain disease it was later discovered that no such research was carried out in 2015, the then chairman of the FA, Greg Dyke, called this woefully inadequate and vowed it would never happen again, as Dawn Astle, the daughter of West Brom legend Jeff, remembers. And if it wasn't for that Mail on Sunday reporter, um, that original study, which started in 2001, yeah. sat in a drawer. This was catastrophic brain injury that was killing players. As I said, it was just as if my dad's... Death didn't mean anything. It didn't matter. And it does matter. It does matter. The FA told me that they have a clear and unwavering commitment to support objective, robust and thorough research going forward and that it's a key part of the FA's 2020 to 24 strategy as they recognise the importance of this issue. The FA are also now on the board of Alzheimer's Society's Sport United Against Dementia campaign to ensure fans and players past and present get access to the very best support and help create a dementia-inclusive sport industry. The campaign will also fund research to better understand the causes of dementia. And just a week or so after my interview with Dawn for this documentary, the PFA moved to take the necessary steps toward tackling the issue. Some news just into us here at Talk Sport. Don Astle and uh, Rachel Walden have been appointed by the Professional Footballers Association as they step up its campaign against dementia. Now, Astle, the, the daughter, of course, of former West Brom striker Jeff Astle, and Rachel, whose father was a former Portsmouth uh, wing half Rod Taylor, will advise the union moving forward. Don Astle has been the PFA's biggest critic, but will now help shape the care provision for those impacted. Off the back of my interview with Simon, it's also been announced that the FA will commission new studies in what causes the increased risk of dementia among former players. Despite the criticism of the PFA and the fact that they openly admit they haven't done enough in the past, during all my interviews, I couldn't help thinking that this is much bigger than the PFA and goes way beyond a UK conversation. Surely this is the responsibility of FIFA for things to actually change on a global level. A FIFA spokesperson told me that the organisation takes its responsibility very seriously, as protecting the health of players is and will remain a top priority in developing the game. FIFA's Director of Medical, Dr Andrew Massey, has recently joined the FA's Research Task Force Group, with football's governing body making the issue of concussion a key objective. We have some breaking news coming out of Wolves this morning. They say that Raul Jimenez has had surgery on a fractured skull. Despite the severity of the situation, David Luiz carried on playing, even after the clash of heads, a move that Arsenal were heavily criticised for. And in January, football's lawmakers, IFAB, introduced the trials of permanent concussion substitutes. Despite support from those within the game, Dr Willie Stewart, 
who has led from the front regarding head injuries in football, rubbished the idea. The, the problem is that the, the doctors looking after the player don't get a chance to assess them properly. So, you know, the player running on, the, the, the doctor running on to see David Lewis is coming from the dugout, hasn't seen the incident necessarily, arrives at a player who's come round, you know, and, and is, is desperate to get back into the game and, and doesn't get a chance to pull them off properly and assess them. Rugby realised that a decade ago and made changes. To put this theory into practice, let's use a relatively recent example. During West Ham's fifth round FA Cup loss to Manchester United, Hammers defender Issa Diop clashed heads with Anthony Martial 36 minutes in. Despite both looking shaken, both continued. Then at half-time, Diop was substituted. Had the option of a temporary substitute been available, the defender, say, could have had a full checkup whilst replaced temporarily on the pitch. Further evidence that if we leave it in the players' hands, their priority in the heat of the moment will be to play on. Research undertaken by Sports and Wellbeing Analytics shows that nearly 50% of concussions go unnoticed, as only 5% of concussions result in unconsciousness. Despite widespread agreement with regard to the Raul Jimenez-David Luiz incident, current Watford captain Troy Deeney believed the right call had been made. How many things are already being taken away from the players? You're already told how much you can run, how much you can't, sports scientists. At some point, there has to be an element of trust between player and doctor. This take was met with widespread criticism, but it got me thinking, how do current players feel about the issue of concussion, the fear of dementia, and whether heading is needed in the modern game? Shortly, QPR striker Charlie Austin gives a unique insight that only a current player can give. Are him and his teammates worried? Are they even talking about it? Plus, I look into how the game moves forward. A former England captain suggests football scraps heading altogether. It'd be interesting to see what football's like without heading. They could certainly do trials like they do when they do law changes. Daily Blint. Van Persie with an early run. He's onside this time. It's 1-1. What's your favourite goal scored from a header? Ask anyone and they'll likely give you an answer straight off the bat. It's the Netherlands' Robin van Persie for me in the 2014 World Cup against Spain. But for many of a certain generation, you'll hear one example used again and again. This time a chance came to West Ham's Jeff Hurst. It's equaliser! The first of Jeff Hurst's three in the 1966 World Cup final was scored with his head. A thumping finish that drew the game level at one all. England back in the game. We often hear about the art of heading, whether at the front or the back. It's one of the most satisfying parts of football to watch, when done well. But is it a dying art? If we look at the numbers from the 2010-11 season, almost 20% of Premier League goals were scored with the head. 205 out of 1,063 goals to be exact. Looking at last season, 2019-20, 138 out of 1,034 goals scored in the top flight were headers. 13.3%. It reminds me of a Brian Clough quote, if God had wanted us to play football in the clouds, he'd have put grass up there. Maybe times are changing. I always joke, I, we played and I played in the medieval times of the game. Alan Shearer did a piece about a year ago now on, on the research between the two balls. They're very similar when dry, but when wet, ours was, was much heavier. But I still think, um, although the balls may be lighter today, they are struck with such ferocity from time to time that, that the impact is, could be as serious as, as a heavy ball in our day. Let's deal with this now. 
Old leather balls weighed 14 to 16 ounces. Modern synthetic balls, well, they weigh exactly the same. Yes, the leather balls may have been heavier when wet, but they also got considerably slower, therefore less impact. Some people are on the pitch, they think it's all over. It is now. Do you think that the sports organisations like the PFA, FA, FIFA, UEFA should be doing something about it together, collaboratively? Yes, I do. I think the governing bodies have got to look more, more closely at, at that aspect of the game. Um, but as I've said earlier, I think the, the, the clubs themselves, uh, the, the, all the clubs in this country, for example, if, they, if they're listening and hearing to what we're all talking about, they've got to start restricting the, the amount of, of practice that heading of all. Following Dr. Willie Stewart and Glasgow University's research in 2019, the FA announced that children under 11 would no longer be taught to head the ball in training. Guidelines were also put in place for older children too. Heading is now seen as a low priority up until the age of 18. Dawn Astle and many others are now calling for further restrictions on heading that stretch further than those aged 18 and below. And now reports are circulating that England could become the first country to formally limit heading in training at a professional level. Dr Willie Stewart knows that others must follow suit. FIFA has been utterly silent on this. And the Global Games uh, rules regulators, IFAB, are, are proposing something which is just frankly outrageous in terms of, of brain injury management in suggesting that another substitute will make a difference. So, so, so the Global Game is, is just horrendous in the way it's trying to respond to this. The medical chief of the World Players Union, FIFPRO, Dr Vincent Gutabage, said in November of 2020 that more robust evidence is needed to make permanent changes to heading and training at a professional level. But could football go one step further? I used to watch them, central defenders particularly, long balls up, one after the other, one after the next thing. I used to think, wow. And it was the same with crossing when I was young, but one after the other, one after the other. If that, that needs massively limiting. I think there's, there's no question about that or, or getting rid of completely. Um, but I suppose, you know, that argument, if you don't ever train and ever learn to head it, how do you do it in a match? So it's not easy. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see what football's like without heading. Yeah. Um, I don't, they could certainly do trials like they do when they do law changes. Hmm, I wonder what Sir Jeff Hurst makes of that suggestion. No, I don't think so. I, think, I, don't, I don't think it could. Um, I think what's, what's remarkable, getting back to the heading ball in practice again, I think if you looked at some of the games I played as a centre-forward, you would use a lot of games and I hardly headed a ball. It would not be a lot. It's the, practice. Really it's the yeah. practice. They're looking at seeing all these instances of, of ex-players coming out now. I think the current players will start to think a bit more seriously themselves about the amount of training they do in heading a ball. Balls to Charlie Austin and Charlie Austin, the birthday boy! Charlie, this is something that's really intrigued me while I've been recording this documentary over the last couple of months. Is I kept asking myself, hang on a second, I'm talking to all these players that are out of the game now. Is this something that's talked about within the game? Are you talking about this with your teammates in the dressing room after games? To put it bluntly, no, not at all. You won't have a conversation of dementia. Do you think, what's your thoughts on it? That's not something I personally believe that any current player is, is talking about, that I know of anyway, and I've been in the two dressing rooms this, this season. Let me tell you, it's not come up in, in conversation, which is... Which is sad when you obviously when you think about it, because obviously how big, big the illness is, and 
us as current players it can affect, but it's not something that's at the front of our mind. So we've had a bit of a conversation about it. Is it now something that you're thinking, oh, hang on a second, why aren't I talking about this as a current player, considering the facts are that you're more likely, or 3.5 mm. times more likely to get it yeah. than the general population, plus it's being associated with heading the ball? No. No? I don't think so, no. Because my in this current moment, my purpose is to play football games and to win for the football club I currently play for. For an illness that could affect me in 30, 40 years' time, I'm not I'm not there yet. I know that's quite individual based chatting, everybody is different, but for me personally it's it's not something I'm thinking about. Even though you're saying it's individual, the fact that you know you said you've been in two changing rooms mm. and that and not one I think person it's because talking I can, about yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's know? because I can't speak for everybody else, but knowing what I've been know. into yeah. knowing what I do know. It's not being yeah. it is not being spoken about. On my my opinion, it's about how I'm gonna win the next game. It's not what's gonna to happen to me in 30, 40 years. So do you think that welfare of a player should be taken away from a player's hands in the sense that the organizations and the PFA and the FA and FIFA and everybody <laughs> should make sure that if there is this link and there is a problem yeah. and there is that danger in years' time. Yeah that it should be up to them to take heading away or reduce heading rather than it on the player to go. Oh, oh, so Them two things are so big part of this game. Mm. It is so big. You learn it from a, a young age, how to head the ball properly. It's the same as you going up. Sometimes you don't even have to head the ball. You have a big crash and bang heads with your, your opponent as well. You know, So it's a tough one. Yes, it should be taken into, into their hands. It should be taken out of the player's hands. But football and heading, it just goes, it's part of the game. I just think you're taking that, if you do think about taking that out of out of a football match, it is, you are looking at a completely different game overall. As reports around the likely restriction of heading during training at a professional level gather pace, coaches are now looking at the more practical ways of learning the skill. Mark Herrick is the CEO and founder of Headright Sports, and has created a device to help practice heading in a safer way. What we've done is we've taken an age-old training methodology, suspending a football from above, which was, has been used for decades, and um, we've added a bit of sophistication and science to its usage. And at the centre of what we do is we use a foam ball for heading practice. Calls to ban heading altogether are always and forever will be met with criticism. Whether it's to ban heading altogether or just the limiting of it, there is a hesitancy to change the thing we all love, especially among those who haven't been directly affected by the issue. But for those who have, it's unanimous. Corner from Barnes and a beautiful header, Dave Watson! If you knew then what you knew now, know now about it, would you have still played football? Well... Would you have I, still played football? I, could, I, think I'm, I think I'd play football, but I wouldn't have had the ball. We are hearing more and more current players coming forward, admitting that they've suffered in order to carry on and compete. Former Tottenham defender Toby Alderweireld admitted that he suffered from dizziness and headaches for nine months after a head injury in 2019. Is it more damaging than it's worth when the desire to win is everything? If I'd known what I knew now, I would have certainly limited the heading that I did when I was younger. 
No question about that. No question. But would I have said that to myself when I was 17, 18? I don't know. I'd say, of course I'd want to head it. It was my career and all my greatest moments, but that's a selfish view. Um, I think if you're looking at it as a bigger picture for people around me, my mm. wife... Although it's been found that those who play football have a higher risk of death due to neurodegenerative disease, those who play football tend to live longer. A stat, though, that Dr Willie Stewart doesn't see as just a positive. The footballers live slightly longer, so lived a year or two longer. Um, you know, footballers live longer is great news, but actually the ones with dementia are lost far earlier, um, and that's, that's, that's something that we need to focus on. This is TalkSport's support for change. We support the calls for an increase in dedicated funding towards how football reduces the risk to players at all levels. We support the call for emotional and financial support for all those who live with a brain disease and for the families, many of which have had to sell their homes to pay for care. This issue stretches further than our sport. We support the call for more former professional footballers to take part in research and for female footballers to come forward. Their participation is vital to make sure the conversation stretches further than the men's game. And we support the call for the restriction of heading in training and the time period between heading sessions, based on the advice of Dr Willie Stewart and other experts researching the issue. We know what football gives us, how it makes us feel, and the way it brings us together. Yes, we love its traditions, but it has a responsibility to those that have shaped the game and given us the legacy we now have, and for those lives that carry this forward. Should the game be adapted? And if so, how? Whatever your opinion, mitigating the risk to footballers shouldn't be a taboo subject. Please continue to show your support for those living with dementia. It really does mean the world. How did it feel for you when, you know, you decided to go public and the, the way that the fans reacted that adored you and adore you now? I got so so many letters from people or or, or phone calls or and uh, and videos yeah, videos yeah <laughs> that's right how does it make you feel though sweetheart well i think it's lovely being uh, being worshipped <laughs> <laughs> The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.